0: Welcome to this episode of Reddit Guy. The subreddit we will listen to today is called R/pro Revenge. Our first post of this episode comes from J3R3 My Rco OK and it’s titled “ Eck Chops Down My Tree costs her $500,000 pounds, $700,000. It’s been two years and I can finally post about this. This is juicy so get ready. Background information: We live in an old and big manor that has been split into three attached houses. The houses are about 150 years old and were built around five huge giant sequoias, which were about 200 years old. In the UK, giant sequoias are very rare, and the two in our garden up the house price by about £60,000. We lived next to two really nice neighbors, one young couple and one old couple. The story unfortunately, our old neighbors passed away, so their child and her family moved in. Let's call her Joe joe was instantly a pain in the ass we had been sharing chickens with the previous neighbors and joe agreed to keep sharing them however on her nights she would constantly forget to put them away so we would have to check them every night anyway one night her little brats thought it would be funny to open our personal duck pen in the night which leads to a mass slaughter later the chickens went the same way about two years ago there was a storm and one of her sequoias somehow fell over and died they were distraught understandably but from then on the jealousy started She would constantly complain about how lucky we were to have two sequoias in our garden and how our sequoia was making too much shade in their garden, it wasn't, anyway we just thought it was Joe being a pain, there were a few dry threats like they will chop it down or maybe the next storm will blow it down. Until we came back from a holiday to France to find a huge 6 meter stump and nothing else. I mean how the fuck do you get rid of a 100 feet tree in like 2 weeks? Two of our old British oak trees had been crushed as well. My mum and sisters were crying my dad were red in the face and we had no evidence Joe had done it. She claimed that there had been a storm and she had to get rid of it. We had a security camera at the front of the house, but you can get in the back if you go through a few fields. We then were given an £8,000 bill for damages to her property and to have the tree chopped up and removed the wood alone would have been worth a small fortune. We had lost all hope and two weeks had passed when my dad came running in from the garden. We had put up a wildlife camera a few months ago and had caught everything. We got a lawyer on the phone and started our revenge. We got a tree surgeon out who said it was an original specimen brought into the UK in 1860 along with the two that were in Elverston Castle Country Park. There were 218 around the UK but only 60 now. He also told us to call out an engineer because the roots might be in the foundation so when they rot it could damage the house. Turns out we would need to redo the foundations. Then we took Joe to court and sued them for damage to property, trespassing and lots of other smaller claims. The tree would cost 250k to have another sequoia that was 200 years put in and looked after. It's basically impossible. Plus the damage to the foundation which was 200k and the two oaks which were another 25k. So with the smaller claims, it went to about 500,000 pounds, $700,000. They had to move out. And we have now paid off the mortgage done a lovely loft and kitchen conversion and have basically done up the house and garden as well as plant a 60-year-old sequoia tree in the back garden. We also had our kitchen counter and table made from the old sequoia. We now have a new lovely family living next to us who we share chickens, ducks and pygmy goats with. They're very nice and I make a fortune babysitting their kids. Sorry for the SATLDR. New neighbours chopped down original sequoia specimen that 200 year old and is of the same tree as all to ones in every signal place of note in the UK. Ends up costing them £500,000, $700,000. I'm working on the spag but I'm dyslexic please tell me where the errors are. Edit. Many of you wanted to hear about the court case but she didn't stand a chance and as soon as we revealed the footage to her and her lawyer she gave up. The people who cut the tree down gave us the countertops for free as a sorry. They were truly sorry the neighbours had a second home so they just sold the house and moved back to their smaller one. We feel bad for the old neighbours but we do visit their graves because they were like family. I can't show the footage of the wildlife cam sorry sad face but I can show footage we got of hedgehogs link didn't know where to put it so I put it on our link also there was a storm but the sequoia was unharmed that's what the video showed. The next post from reality is my religion is titled busybody stay at home mom neighbor harasses me until my restraining order kicks her out of her house. Original comment, link, I lived across the street from a very bored stay at home mom whose excess idle time turned her into an insufferable busybody. Her husband backed out of the driveway and slammed into my roommate's car parked on the curb. He apologized, gave us his insurance info, and took care of it. He was never a problem, because he accepted responsibility for what he did. His wife, however, demanded that we never ever park any cars at the curb again, because, we can't get out of our driveway otherwise. The street was very wide, she was just completely unable to accept that the accident was her husband's fault, and figured we were somehow responsible for it, ergo we were responsible for preventing it in the future. We told her that we would avoid parking there whenever possible, but that we still had the legal right to park on the street, and that if necessary we would still do so, and that it was her and her husband's responsibility to avoid hitting other people's legally parked cars when backing out of the driveway. She wasn't happy with that answer, but just told us we better stay out of her family's way, and stormed off. One day, she came storming over, banging on the front door, cussing us out. We got her on our security camera saying, if you don't move that fucking car in the next 10 minutes, I am going to fucking total it with my truck it'll be your fault, and you'll have to pay for the damage to my fucking vehicle. To this, I simply responded, I don't know whose car that is, but I didn't park it there. I have you on camera, so if you do anything to that car, I'll have to call the police and hand over this tape. She then threatened to sue me for invasion of privacy for recording her, and still insisted that we move the car, even though it wasn't our property. We just ignored her, and she did not do anything to the car, we did keep the recording though. A few weeks later, I had a friend visit from out of town. He parked his car on the curb, and then started unloading some stuff from his trunk. She came storming out, screaming and cussing at him, I have told you repeatedly never park your fucking car on this curb. If you don't move it, I am going to fucking total it, and you can fucking pay for a new goddamn car, as well as the damage you do to mine. He tried to calm her down, and asked if there was somewhere else he could park, and she replied, you can park it in hell. Because that's where you'll be after I fucking kill you. Unfortunately for her, he had his dashcam running the whole time, and it captured everything. He called the police, and she was arrested for threatening to commit vandalism and for threatening violence. A few days later, she left a long winded hate letter in our mailbox. It was written as if it were an open letter from the entire neighborhood, and it basically said that nobody knows who you are, and everyone wishes you would move away, and nobody wants you living in our neighborhood. Thing is, She forgot about the security cameras. I took the video of her opening my mailbox, which included her taking all our letters out of the mailbox and rifling through them, and I gave them to the post office. This led to her getting arrested for a second time that week. After that, we used her two arrests, our collection of security and dashcam footage, and her letter to get a restraining order against her that actually prohibited her from entering her own home, and then we called the police every time we saw her because she was in violation of the order. She ended up having to live in a hotel room, and her husband came over, apologized to us, and asked if we would drop the restraining order so his wife could come home. I told him I would do it, but only if she wrote me, my wife, our roommates, and the friend of mine she threatened a one-page apology for her harassment, and that she would promise to never ever contact us again for any reason whatsoever moving forward. I received no apology, and the house went on the market a week later. Some fucking people. The next post from Fox McLeod is titled, X post from R, Malicious Compliance, Nathan vs the IRS. I can't believe it took me so long to think of posting this. You guys are in for an epic one here. First, you have to appreciate the kind of guy Nathan is. Brilliant engineer, crazy person. Because Nathan likes rules and Nathan doesn't give up when he knows how things should work. I like to get him to tell the story whenever we're together because he doesn't even see why it's funny, it's just how he deals with all problems. Nathan was like if you saw Sisyphus and you thought, maybe I should try to stop him. But then one day, the boulder was on top of the hill. And you go and ask Sisyphus how he did it and he replied, it was simple. I just kept pushing it forever and ever, and eventually, the mountain gave up. A real grade 19 bureaucrat. He just works systems through problems no matter how daunting they should seem. Until one day, when Nathan's unstoppable force met in a movable object. I came into work and saw checks and envelopes spread all over his desk. And Nathan filling them out with the kind of grin Steve Buscemi might have crossing names off a list with a tube of lipstick. I ask him about it and he calmly starts explaining that he's having trouble with the IRS. I probe a little deeper since that in no way explains more than one check or envelope. And he starts telling me about how last year during tax season he was in China for work, so he started filling his taxes out early while at his parents' house. He owed a little but left before he could mail it in. But he remembered while in China and broke through the firewall in order to pay it online. But then his parents, thinking he forget, wrote a check for him and mailed his taxes in too. So now his taxes would be paid twice. So they said don't worry about it, we'll cancel the check. Well, it turns out that NYSIRS has a cancelled check fee of something like $40. And they sent Nathan a bill and penalty for the $40. That was it. That was the whole story. A $40 fee. Nathan, why do you have 20 checks on your desk? Oh, well after I explained to them what was wrong with the fee they didn't get it. So Nathan spent the next four weeks escalating the issue to the point that he got a case officer, a real, live human agent on the phone with a case number. Nathan started by asking for the agent to spell his name, and politely to demonstrate that he was where he said he was by asking how the weather was and how the drive-in had been that day. He then asked for his agent's manager, got their name and exchanged some pleasantries. He explained that his parents wrote the check but that he was the one being charged the fee. The agent explained that this was the policy of the IRS, all cancelled checks will result in a $40 fee. The agent and Nathan went in rigorously compliant circles for hours exploring the rules. Nathan then calmly confirmed that, 1. It is the policy of the IRS to allow just anyone to write a check on behalf of anyone else. Yes sir that is fine. You just need to indicate the name and zip code of the account. 2. It is the policy of the IRS to charge a $40 cancellation fee to the person whose account is indicated on the check. Yes sir, that is the policy in NYS. This means that, and I swear to God he actually asked the agent this hypothetical on the phone. I, Nathan, could write a $10 check and indicate it's for you, Mr. Agent, at 1,234,567 Schenectady, NY and cancel it resulting in a $40 fee for you with absolutely no penalty or recourse to me, the equally compliant and rule-minded agent replied, yes sir, I guess you could. So, that's what Nathan did. And that's what was doing with 20 checks on his desk and what he meant by IRS trouble. He was following through. Sending checks to the IRS address to pay the taxes of the agent and the agent's manager, so Nathan could cancel them, causing the agent and his manager to owe the IRS a fee for each cancelled check he was exploiting the same flaw in the system in which he was caught to essentially extort the IRS agents. I laughed about this for weeks after. And then, three or so weeks later, I'll be damned if he didn't receive a letter from the IRS, greater than, sir, we understand the point you've made. Please consider your fee waived and I hope we can put this behind us tldr my coworker got the irs to reverse a fee because he found a way to use a loophole to force the irs agent to have to pay the fee too edit okay this is big enough to make some corrections so i texted nathan on his wedding weekend in china since it's blowing up and he had some corrections one technically it's not the federal irs it's the nys department of taxation and finance two apparently it wasn't a written letter he got back It was a phone call truce from the agents 3. It was only a handful of checks he sent. 4. The fee was for $50 with late fees. LOL. The next post from Twilling 8 is titled Thief tried to steal my car, accidentally filled it up with gas and brought it back to me instead. My first car was a 1984 Jeep CJ7, a pretty sweet ride for a dirt poor teenager in the 90s. I was working midnights at a gas station and loaned it to my brother who was taking a date to a party. I got a call around 1am from my brother who told me he left the keys in the Jeep and it was stolen. I was devastated. I was still on the phone with my brother when the thieves pulled my Jeep into my gas station to fill up on gas. As luck would have it, the gas gauge on my Jeep was broken and always read empty, and I worked at the only 24-hour gas stations in the area. I pressed the silent alarm and proceeded to fill up my Jeep. It was a full-serve station. When the thieves were out of the Jeep, I saw an opportunity to slip the key out of this ignition and into my pocket. They paid for the gas, and argued amongst each other who had the keys last. The delay was enough for the police to arrive. I had to explain the story to the officer half a dozen times before he understood. The thieves had this stunned look of disbelief on their faces I'll never forget. The cops were belly laughing telling the story to dispatch, all the while the thieves sat in cuffs in the back of the squad car. The story made most of the major newspapers the following day. The next post from Tremendo the Great is titled Friend Crank called me at my job, so I had him served with a fake paternity suit at his. Ten years ago a friend of mine crank called me several times in my office over the course of a day. I decided in that moment that one, this would not stand and two, rather than entering into a long, protracted quagmire of a prank war, I would use the nuclear option and end it immediately. My friend, Mike, was a well-known local bartender. I worked at the same bar as a bouncer, and he was very much enjoying single life at the time, facts which I knew I could take advantage of. Soon a plan began to form. I would have him served with a fake paternity suit while he was working at the bar. So, I compiled a ton of free online legal documents, not just for the paternity suit, but also income disclosure forms, statements of parental rights, and suggested visitation schedules pending, demonstrable proof of sobriety. I filled out all the forms then smeared what looked like date-received stamps as proof they had been filed and ran copies to make those stamps even more illegible. From there, I crafted a backstory to be included in a cover letter from the fictional mother's fake law firm, the nearby city family law centre, on letterhead and all. The mother was an Irish exchange student visiting the area the previous summer. She had only been with Mike so she knew the baby, Eliza, was his. The cover letter encouraged Mike to call during regular office hours to discuss arranging a DNA test to affirm paternity. I set up a generic voicemail for the number listed as the office on the letterhead. By the end, the paperwork was somewhere between 20 to 25 pages. I enlisted another friend not known by Mike to serve the documents and instructed him to do so around 10 p.m. on a Saturday evening. I told him to keep the interaction very simple. I wasn't able to be by the back bar because I knew I would be laughing too hard but based on eyewitness reports it played out like this, friend, are you Mike, last name? Mike, yes friend, Michael, middle name, last name. Mike, yes friend, drops folder on bar, Mike, what's that? Friend, paternity suit, you've been served, turns around and immediately walks out of the bar, Mike, yeah that sounds about right Mike read through the packet, shakily poured himself several drinks, and then ran over to the bar owner, who was aware of the prank, to ask what to do. He also called the number on the letterhead but sadly did not leave a voicemail. After a solid 10 minutes of intense psychological revenge, the owner finally told Mike he should closely read the last page of the packet. On it, in size 2 font it read, go fuck yourself, Mike. At which point, Mike ran to the front door and punched me in the chest. Epilogue, several months later, Mike was on a trip across the country. He had left his car at home with his mom who generously had it washed for him. Mike for some reason kept the paternity suit paperwork in his driver's side door. During the course of the car wash, his mother found it and read the entire thing then called him sobbing in the middle of the night asking why he hadn't told her about her bastard Irish granddaughter. The next post from Modi Suki is titled killed a tow company with one simple phone call. I killed an entire tow company with one phone call. On mobile, so bear with me. Several years back I went to work for a towing company. It's about all I know how to do other than paint cars which is drastically affecting my health. The pay was pretty decent but we had to share trucks and the boss felt that he knew where we needed to sit in order to get the best calls. This is important for later. Several months in I realized that I was not making the type of money that I should be making. So I took the opportunity while I was sitting in a parking lot one evening to start researching the laws pertaining to employees in similar positions. He was kind of an asshole, and the trucks had transponders so that he could see if we had him idling with the air conditioner on on a hot day, or idling with the heat on on a cold day. He was always calling complaining about something if the wheels were not turning. During my research I discovered that if he was requiring us to sit in a certain parking lot, street, or any location of his choosing, then we were entitled to be paid an hourly wage not just our commission. The technical term was engaged to wait however if he allowed us to freely roam about while we waited for calls we were not entitled to hourly wages and we were therefore considered waiting to be engaged. I never mentioned this to him but I did start taking note of my time. Another month or so goes by and he decided to start coming down on me for tiny little BS. Things that ordinarily wouldn't even matter such as I forgot a pop can in the cup holder. He actually had a screaming fit about that. At this point I was tired of working there and had already found another job so I decided it was time to put my plan into motion. I called him up, told him that we needed to have a conversation about my final wages and that we could meet at his convenience. Upon entering the office I laid out my argument, explained the state law, and told him I expected to be paid for the hours that I was on the clock but not freely allowed to roam looking for work or able to do things of my choosing. He told me in no uncertain terms would not be paid for that time, as that was agreed to upon my employment. I did not bother to argue, as I already had my next step planned, so I took my final check and I left. The following Monday, I made a phone call to the state labour board, where I laid out my case to them. Needless to say, they were very interested in what was going on. In the end, they came to review his employment records and speak to the drivers still working. When he got the bill of what he had to pay us all, it was too much for him to afford, so he sold the trucks, his boat, and lot and went out of business. I never got the money owed to me in full, only a fraction. But the satisfaction of knowing the law just a little bit better than he did and watching it all burn was pure bliss. TL, DR. Boss fucks us on legally entitled wages, I sink his company with one phone call. The next post from Jot BBC boy is titled Hippity hoppity, you damaged my property bipati boppity, I'm calling the copper tea. bopper boo, they're taking your kids too. Dot. I apologize in advance for the length. TLDR at the end this happened shortly after college. My mom is a retired, disabled woman who now owns her house on a quiet residential cul-de-sac. She has lived there longer than anyone else. Her neighborhood has designated parking spaces at the end of the cul-de-sac, all with the addresses of each house painted in the parking space. My mom doesn't get out much so I use her designated parking space. At the time, we lived in the same city and I visited her weekly to bring groceries, fix broken things, cook for her, etc. My mom parked her car in the backyard of her house, since she went out so little. Mom kept busy by gardening or baking, buying cookies for the children on the street. Mom's neighbor, Ivy, never parked well. Whenever I stopped by, her car was always parked so close to my car that I had to park on the curb. I wouldn't have cared about Ivy's piss-poor parking but for two things. One, she had four or five kids and had parties almost every weekend, leaving trash in mom's yards. Two, I loved my car, a 2016 metallic ice blue Dodge Challenger Hellcat, the first car I had ever purchased brand new. I washed that car once a week, detailed the interior, and had rules against eating, drinking, or even leaving trash in my car. It was my pride and joy. Mom had called the police throughout Ivy's residence because of the parties. Ivy's guests would fill up the cul-de-sac with their cars, obstructing traffic, and get into loud, drunk fights at and after midnight. I often found empty beer bottles, empty condom wrappers, cigarette butts, and empty crack baggies on the fence between the properties, mostly on Ivy's side of the fence. This is all important information. One Saturday while having dinner at mom's house, I heard a loud crash and my car alarm went off. I ran outside to see Ivy's older model Honda Accord back out of her parking space and speed down the street. Ivy's Accord had a dent from the front bumper to the door and the headlight had popped out. I approached my Challenger with trepidation and screamed in anguish at what I saw. My car, my beautiful three-week-old car with less than 500 miles on it, had a dent stretching from the passenger's door to the front bumper and the right front wheel was tilted at a 30-degree angle. I was livid and in anguish as I called the police, filed an online claim with my insurance, and arranged for a tow truck to take my damaged car to the dealership. The estimated cost of repairs came out to States dollars Total cost of repairs was eventually US$6,500. I had a low insurance deductible, States dollars but my car was parked and Ivy owed for the damages. For two weeks, I knocked on Ivy's door or waited for her to come home. She stopped driving her damaged Accord and either rented or borrowed a Ford Fusion. When she was home, she didn't answer the door. When she wasn't, she stayed away until my rental car, a Dodge Charger, left mom's parking space. I left a note on Ivy's door for her to call me, but only received harassing calls from restricted phone numbers or people blaring air horns in my ear when I answered. The revenge about two weeks after the accident, Ivy's children came to mom's house for some cookies. I noticed that two of them had bruises around their eyes. If Ivy hadn't hit my car, I still would have done what I did but maybe not as underhandedly. I had mom take pictures with one of the children but waited until the next party to strike. Ivy had a party that night or the night after. Mom called me to let me know and I installed an app onto my phone that gave me a fake phone number. I called 911 and reported the party. There's a loud party at 1007 Mountain Drive, and I'm worried because the children are around all these drunk adults. Please, hurry. Mom called to let me know the police had arrived. I drove to her house, stopping by the grocery store first so that appeared to be the reason, and saw Ivy and her boyfriend Bane already sitting in the back of a squad car. From a news broadcast that night, I found out that Bane had warrants out for his arrest. Initially, the charges were disorderly conduct and disturbing the peace. However, mom turned over the photos of the children, anonymously mailing them through the post office with Ivy's address and name as the return address. Less than a week later, Ivy and Bane were charged with child abuse charges. I think Bane was charged with more severe charges as well for abusing Ivy's daughter. Either way, the children ended up in foster care, and Ivy and Bane ended up in prison. TL, DR, my car was hit by such a foul witch. Being a pro I played a snitch. Her children had bruises, she had no excuses. My plan went well, no hitch.